Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. It's April 16th, 2020, just about a month since we changed our lives pretty radically to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. And a month is an interesting thing to consider right now, partly because time seems so different than it did before. Each day seems the same. Each week seems longer than it used to be. And it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere the way that we normally do, that time progresses and things change and milestones happen. But at the same time, this month, if we think about it, is a pretty short period of time in our lives. There's so much more ahead of us. There are so many more things that will happen. Life will return and we will get back to communing with each other, interacting with each other, touching each other in the ways that human beings need to touch each other just to feel human. It's interesting to think that we haven't done that for a month, but it's even more important, I think, to think that we will do it again, that we will get through this, that we will survive and adapt and figure out how the world can make sense again, despite the pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Here on Detroit Today, we are convening every day, as we always do, but it's been a little different over the last month as well. I feel like we're connecting in a different way right now than we used to. We're connecting in a more important way because there are so few other opportunities to connect with other human beings, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our families. But here, we're still talking about all of the things that are really important in our community, all the things that matter in our lives. And right now, we're also connecting with each other reminding ourselves of that connection and how important it is. Today, as every day, we want to hear from you about how you're managing all of this. What's going on in your life right now that wasn't going on 30 days ago? What's going on in your kids' lives? What's going on in your economic life that wasn't happening 30 days ago? And call and tell us what you're thinking about the future. Are you thinking about the future? Are you starting to plan for the idea that life will return in a way that maybe looks a lot like it used to? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Call and tell us. How are you doing? How are you managing? Up first today, just three months before COVID-19 came to Michigan, Moody said that the city of Detroit was among the weakest cities in the country in its preparedness for a financial downturn. Now the economy is in full meltdown. And right now the city expects a $300 million shortfall in the next two years because of costs and revenue losses related to the pandemic. Mayor Mike Duggan laid out a budget reduction plan this week that proposes cutting salaries and hours for nearly a third of the city's 8,000 employees. 
There are some workers, including police, fire, EMS, and bus service employees, who won't be affected. But what will this all mean for a city that is just a few years out from under the largest municipal bankruptcy in American history? And just as important, what will it mean for the residents of the city of Detroit, who need more from city government right now than perhaps they ever have before? That's where we want to start the conversation today. And joining us to talk about these financial questions and the solutions to them is Dave Masseron. He is the chief financial officer here in the city of Detroit. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. And thank you for that introduction and putting uh, our residents uh, at the forefront as we make these uh, budget decisions. That's how we've always thought about it, as, as you know budgets reflect um, our priorities, and they are numbers, but they're numbers that result in services. So yeah. I appreciate that framing of these issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about where we were before any of this happened. What kind of financial position was the city in? And that Moody's report, which said that a downturn would affect us perhaps more than any other city in in the country. How how accurate was that in your view? So I think that there was a lot of accuracy to that. The city of Detroit coming out of bankruptcy has a number of fixed costs, meaning costs that we can't lower in the event uh, that our revenues uh, decrease or contract. Um, and that fixed cost, that high level of fixed cost, means that we have less room to react. But I'd also point out that Moody's uh, just earlier this year increased our rating outlook uh, to positive um, on the basis of the fact that the city had, through the leadership of the mayor and city council, um, had been setting aside uh, funding. In fact, in our proposed budget, we had set aside an additional $50 million towards both our rainy day fund and long-term obligations. And it's those reserves that we think will give us an opportunity to get through the next 16 months while maintaining baseline services uh, as best we can. Hmm. So now that we're in the midst of this pandemic and the economy is in a free fall, the numbers everywhere look different than they did before, and they look pretty bad. Give us a sense of this $300 million shortfall. Put that in some context in terms of the city of Detroit's finances. How big of a hit is that, and and is it something that will affect us not just now, but but going forward? It will, and and, and I, I just want to echo your your statement that this is something that people across the country are facing. Uh, just yesterday, the mayor of San Diego laid out cuts in his budget uh, for the city in San Diego, and they're facing the largest bu- budget deficit they faced in their history, including during the. Uh, Great Recession from 2009 on. This is something that everybody across the country is dealing with. The city, though, is particularly impacted, and that's because a large portion of our revenues come from gaming or from the casinos. And and as we all know, under the stay-at-home, stay-safe order of the governor, those casinos are not functioning. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, um, starting less than a month ago and with very few months to the end of our fiscal year, the end of June, we are experiencing, we are projecting an experience of a 12% drop um, in, in our revenue um, below what we had anticipated before. So um, $124 million in this fiscal year um, 
is more than 10% of our budget, and it's happening in such a short period of time. Um, and again, we're projecting through fiscal year 21, because of the slow ramp up and reboot of the economy, um, $194 million. So that's $348 million of, a, of about a billion-dollar general fund to occur in less than uh, you know 16 months. So not two years, but we're losing in less than two years 34% um, of our annual gen- general fund or a little more than that. So it's a pretty staggering um, revenue decline in an almost instantaneous way. And and this plan that the mayor announced this week, I know you guys have been working on it for a while. Talk about the sense of priorities, I guess, that you bring to that process. It's a big number. There's no easy way to make it up. But when you're deciding what to cut, what to ask people to sacrifice, what are the things that that sort of are in the front of your mind as you go through that process? So, so the first priority was what, do, what services, what do we need to invest in over the next months to get us through this COVID-19 crisis? And all of those activities were protected. And thankfully, the CARES Act or the federal stimulus bill will cover a good portion of that. But that was the first priority. What services do our residents need? Is it the testing? Is it the instantaneous testing, uh, the 15-minute testing that we can do at our nursing homes to protect our our most vulnerable citizens to this disease? Um, What can we do to support our our homeless or at-risk populations? Those, Those activities were protected. The second thing was, you know, what are our baseline services that we have to provide going forward so we don't end up back into the pre-2013 world um, where the lights weren't on and the garbage wasn't picked up while maintaining the ability to meet our long-term obligations. And once we made that determination of what that level of spending was, the third was, how can we do cuts since we still have a gap that has to come from our employees where we maintain our employees' health care, which is vitally important, but we also maintain a connection to those employees. We, our workforce is one of the best workforces, I say, in the world uh, for municipal government. And we want those employees to come back when the economy reboots. So what we did is we very carefully tailored a plan to try to minimize the economic cost to them while shifting the cost away from the city, but also continuing to pay their health care, continuing to have them as employees and continuing to maintain that connection. And when we kind of looked at those that set of priorities, the plan we came up with was, was the one that, that, that the mayor announced on uh, a couple nights ago. Mm. And let's talk about the approach that you've taken, uh, asking some city workers to sacrifice. Uh, that's a tough decision always. Uh, is there, was there a possibility that you would not have to do that? Was there a way... Uh, that you maybe thought of uh, that that could have could have spared that kind of pain uh, for for in some cases people who who don't make all that much money in in the in the first place. You know th- that was our our number one priority, and there really wasn't the the first plan that was uh, presented based on um, the prior uh, way the city worked through bankruptcy was a straight layoff of 1,600 people. Mm. Um, and what we said instead was, no, we're going to get more creative. We're going to try to maximize the state and federal benefits that have been made available by the federal government. And in doing that, we're going to maintain their health care. We're going to make sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, 
that they're not impacted economically as much as they could because the federal government has provided this additional $600 weekly benefit. So, for example, we have what we're calling Category A uh, impacted workers. Those are workers right now that, you know, there isn't something that they can do. So if you're a teller at a DDOT terminal, we're not taking fares on buses right now because it's a matter of safety for our drivers and our passengers. Mm. No one's buying fare tickets. So that teller is at home. There's not work you can do remote in selling fare tickets. If we take them down to the eight hours a week, maintain their health care, um, by and large, with the additional stimulus funds, from a take-home basis way, their impact is really minimized. And if we do that, we save some money in the short term. And when the economy reboots, we have that teller who is trained and knows their customers, knows how to move people quickly through lines that we can bring back to the city and immediately restore the service when the city is ready to do it. So that's kind of how we try to um, prioritize how we treated our workforce. And these were very difficult discussions. Myself and all the directors in the city had to spend the last two days meeting with, you know, not in person as we all would have liked to, and echoing your earlier uh, introduction, the way that you kind of have a human interaction where you sit with someone and talk to them about this very dramatic change that's occurring uh, to their life and to their, their job. We did it through Zoom calls where um, we just talked to each individual employee and, and try to make them understand that they were a valued part of the city and that once these revenues start to recover, once um, <clears throat> the economy starts to reboot, that we would bring them back. And we tried to lay out how the unemployment benefits work so that they would understand um, that they w- would not be as harmed as they may have feared. Further to that, we're also filing on their behalf. I mean, obviously, the state is doing incredible work at increasing the capacity of the uh, unemployment office to handle the flood of claims that have occurred. But we wanted to make sure for our workforce that we were able to individually enter that worker um, on their behalf so that they wouldn't have to deal with the same level of stress associated with, you know, what we're all reading about in the paper. Mm. Um, That's kind of how we approached it. And, And again, before we even got to employees, we dealt with $298 million of this revenue shortfall. The workforce savings is just a $50 million piece uh, to get us to that $348 million of projected revenue shortfall. Uh, my guest is Dave Masron. He is the chief financial officer of the city of Detroit. We're talking about the financial impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the city of Detroit's finances and the decisions that are being made by the mayor and Dave and other officials about how to make sure that uh, these these impacts, these these ripples from the coronavirus pandemic don't send us back into an economic tailspin in terms of our finances in, here in the city. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and talk about uh, your experience as a, a resident of the city of Detroit or an employee of the city of Detroit in the wake of this pandemic and these announced changes. Uh, what do you think ought to be done to make sure that the city survives this financially? Uh, also, as always, as uh, we are dealing with this pandemic, uh, we want to hear from you just about how you're doing, how you're managing all the things that have changed in the last month. As always, the number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. 
You there, Gene? Oh, Gene, you're gonna have to call us back. I can't hear you. Uh, we'll we'll get you back into the into the conversation. Um, let's go to Bob in Redford. Bob, welcome to the show. Yes. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, Stephen, what's missing from the plan there is that uh, there has to be a massive lobbying effort from the city, Mayor Duggan, the entire state, Governor Whitmer, and all the states to demand that that Congress pony up trillions of dollars that they have thrown at the Wall Street gangsters and fraudsters. And instead, it must be sent to the states and the cities it's made out of thin air, Stephen. If mm. you're not looking at the process, it's created out of thin air. It's uh, it's not dissimilar to what Abraham Lincoln's administration did all those years ago with the uh, greenback. Mm. It has to be done. We need a guaranteed universal basic income. We've absolutely got to have medic improved Medicare for all. It ha- there has to be a massive lobbying group. All of this that this is being discussed by your your, de- your guest puts all the burden on the city hmm. and the state. And that's just what, remember, remember after the 2008 bailout and the trillions that the Obama administration threw at the gangsters and banksters and fraudsters, the, the, the Congress and the administration had the gall to tell the states and cities they were not going to be bailed out likewise. Right. No, this I... should have been cause for a massive, massive protest. Yeah. Until that Congress is forced to relent and pony up the money through that miserable fraud, uh, Fed and the and the Treasury. And yeah. this Bob, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but I think we get your point, and I think it's a really important point. I, I want to give Dave Masseron a chance to respond. And and Dave, I, I think there's no question that this pandemic and the burden it's putting on municipal governments. And state governments raises all of these questions about support for local government and the way we do that. Uh, as the caller points out, everything you guys are doing puts that burden uh, directly on us as Detroiters. That is not that is not the way uh, that that it probably makes the most sense. But I wonder what you think about the possibility of. This inspiring more conversation about the way cities are funded, the way states are funded, so that when things like this happen, it is not this kind of emergency. Yeah, Stephen, I think there's two good points there. The first is um, the Congress should act. Um, Speaker Pelosi, our delegation, Senator Stabenow, Senators Peter, Peters, and, and all of our Congress people across the state. Um, in the next stimulus bill, which we understand Congress is continuing to work on, need to take care of local and state government. Um, unlike the federal government, local and state government has to balance its budget and doesn't have the ability to print money. The federal government at this time needs to step up and make up for these revenue losses, and we're hopeful that occurs. And if it does, some of the pain that I've described can be relieved. We can kind of move forward. Um, as to funding for cities and local government and state government, I do hope that this creates, an, um, as we work through this and as we get by this, a uh, broader discussion about how we fund local government. Um, right now, local government across this state has faced tremendous loss in state revenue sharing over the last decade and its own revenues, and the property tax system um, really just doesn't work 
um, as well as it did uh, prior to the Great Recession. Hmm. All those things, I think, should be put on the table, and we should have a broader conversation about how we fund local government in the state. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dave Masseron, the CFO of the city of Detroit. And we want to continue to hear from you, Gene in Detroit. I see you're back in the queue. We'll get to you next. Mike in Chesterfield, Corey in Hazel Park. We'll talk with you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. My guest is Dave Masseron. He's the CFO of the city of Detroit. We're talking about the financial impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the city's finances and what city officials are doing to mitigate that impact and make sure that the city can balance its books, but also deliver the services that Detroiters need so critically right now. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019 for you to join the conversation. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go back to Gene in Detroit, who rejoins us. Gene, welcome to the yes. show. Yes, I'd like to ask your guest uh, whether or not the revised budget and the proposed bonds for demolition uh, will have the effect of putting the city back under the active uh, oversight of the Financial Review Commission. And what would be the impact of the closure of the incinerator on the cost of demolition? Hmm. Uh, great question, Gene. There's a lot going on in that in that question. Uh, but but let's start here, Dave. Uh, does this does this plan risk us going back under financial review? And for listeners who are not, I guess, uh, into the, all of the details about the bankruptcy, one of the things that happened as a result was that the city's finances were under the review of a state uh, a state commission, a financial review commission, for some time. We got out from under that recently. Uh, but if if we can't balance our books, that's something that could return. Uh, Gene, Gene's question is, is this putting us in risk of that happening? So if we didn't act, if we don't act, yeah, we would be in risk of reverting to active state oversight of the FRC, where the FRC would really be in control of Detroit's destiny in terms of what its government does. But the state treasurer, Rachel Eubanks, and her staff have been tremendous partners as we work through this plan. They've helped us with the revenue estimates. They, I've reviewed the plan with them, and they believe uh, upon their initial review that it's a credible plan for us to balance over the next 16 months and that we should be able to avoid, at this time, uh, a return of active oversight. Um, obviously, you know, every day we learn new things about when the economy will start and how it will restart, and we're going to have to be very nimble um, and decisive in responding to both good and bad news in order to ensure that the city maintains its control of its own destiny. Hmm. And the the question about um, 
the, the, the bigger kind of question about these demolition bonds, things that were planned before that would have added debt to the city's balance sheets. Does, does this make you, I guess, rethink some of those things? You know, it's actually just the opposite. Um, our capital investment um, and our investment in demolition will no longer, in the near term, be able to be supported by our general fund revenue sources, which means um, all of the neighborhoods where we have been making so much progress in reducing blight, that, that progress may be halted. So because the bonds are paid from a different revenue source that has a much lower uh, impact from the COVID-19 crisis, it would give us additional funding to continue that important work. And it's not just demolition that's paid for by bonds, but it's also things like our police, EMS, and fire fleet. The fire trucks that um, bring people and the EMS uh, trucks that bring people to you when you need help in the city are funded by that debt. And it's going to be important that we continue to leverage those funds so we can deliver services to the residents of the city uh, in a manner that they deserve uh, to receive them in. Yeah. Again, Gene, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Lucy in Detroit. Lucy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, and I want to say hi to Dave. I actually catered for him once. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, hi, anyway, Lucy. I, hey, um, I... Uh, Lucy, I think we went to speakerphone there. Can you... Go back to the uh, Lucy. We're having a hard time hearing you on the speakerphone. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to call us back uh, and and speak into the into the receiver so that we can hear you over the air. Uh, let's go to Matt in Westland. Matt, welcome to the show. Um, hello, thank you. Mm-hmm. I tuned in a little late. I don't know if it was addressed, but I was wondering if retirees were going to be hit again, like in the bankruptcy. Yeah, great question, Matt. Uh, city employees are being asked to take some sacrifices. What about retirees who, of course, as Dave or as Matt is referring to, were asked to make huge sacrifices during the bankruptcy? Dave Masseron, is that something the city is looking at as well? No, in fact, it's just the opposite. The retirees were, were asked to give up and gave up in the bankruptcy literally billions of dollars uh, in, in benefits that they had earned over a lifetime of work. This budget, we are going to continue to set aside money before uh, we're required under the plan of adjustment uh, to set aside that money to ensure that we can meet our pension obligations, which the city is required to again contribute to in 2024. So we're continuing to make uh, those investments. And right now, there's no reason for any retiree to uh, anticipate any further cuts or any um, any uh, impact from the current budget situation. That is one of the, the key priorities. The city needs to meet its long-term obligations, and the retirees have already given way more than any of us uh, could have ever expect- anticipated or expected um, or candidly deserved. I mean, that was a very painful time in the city's past, and we need to make sure we don't uh, go back to those those dark days of the 2013 bankruptcy. Chase on Twitter wants to know why the city's highest earners took the lowest percentage cut in the mayor's proposed budget plan. Can you address that? Yeah. So I think the way the plan was uh, designed um, was based on the current federal benefits to ensure that everybody was economically impacted the same way. 
because of the, the supplemental uh, benefit that's available under CARES, we tried to make sure that those individuals that are going to continue to have to work five days a week don't end up taking a cut where they end up making less than somebody who's working 80% a week. We tried to be very intentional about ensuring that everybody contributed uh, to um, this deficit issue going forward. And that's how we came up with the numbers um, that we did. So in other words, the, the salary cuts for the highest earners, if you account for the unemployment benefits that lower earners might also be eligible for, you're saying that it would it would equal, it would, it would even out somehow? Yeah, that's exactly what we tried to do. We tried to design a program so that everybody contributed uh, similar on a similar basis. So you, you phrased it much better than I did, Stephen. Okay. Uh, did you guys ever think, though, of asking people who earn more to do more, to make a bigger sacrifice than people who, in the first place, don't earn as much money? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything was on the table and everything will continue to be on the table. We think that this is a reasonable plan, balancing all those different factors, uh, including what are very generous federal benefits, where uh, some individuals are going to do the same um, or slightly better um, on on an unemployment basis than they do at the city. So we did balance all those out. And we also have to ensure um, as we move forward, that we're able to retain our, our, our employees. And remember, the furloughed employees, the employees that are at 90% of workload, most of them, uh, many of them are expected to be recalled as the economy restarts. And um, the appointees are expected to, or the higher quote-unquote earners are expected to keep this cut all the way through the end of next year. Hmm. There's a lot of different factors that went into balancing these cuts, and, and this is what we believed was was fair at the end. Okay. Dave Masseron, Chief Financial Officer for the City of Detroit, thanks for coming by to explain all this to our listeners. Well, thank you for having me, Stephen. Up next, there is an election coming up in just a couple of weeks. We're going to talk with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about the tricky question of holding an election safely during a global pandemic. We'll also get her take on the latest court ruling in the challenges to Michigan's change to redistricting. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.